Well, good morning, Mount Ararat. I'm Andrew. I'm the campus pastor over at our courthouse location. In fact, I miss being with you this morning, courthouse, but glad to be here and speaking to everyone right here at Garrisonville. And even those who are watching on our online campus, so whether you're down in Fredericksburg or up in Woodbridge or London, England, we're so glad you decided to join us this morning. And today we do begin this brand new series called Summer Love. And Pastor Todd, who right now is taking some time off out suffering for Jesus in Southern California, uh, he asked me to kick off the first part of this series called Summer Love. And this whole series actually stemmed from a series that my life group did earlier this year. And um, we did a series, a marriage series that this other pastor named Andy Stanley did. And the whole series was based around this question. What does it take to stay in love? What does it take to stay in love? And have you ever thought about falling in love? Have you ever thought about how easy it is to actually just fall in love? In fact, Andy Stanley actually said that the only thing necessary to fall in love is this, a pulse. That's the only thing that you need to be able to fall in love. And our culture and our society has actually made it easier than ever to fall in love. And this is how I know that. It's by the number 8,000. And 8,000 represents the number of online dating sites and relationship sites that are available all around the world. And out of that 8,000, 6,000 of those sites are actually based right out of the United States. So 75% of those online dating sites all come from America. So there are more options than ever, and it's easier than ever to be able to fall in love. But can you remember maybe when you first thought you were in love? You know, some of us, it may have actually been at a summer camp. Um, some of us, it may have been at a VBS. Uh, some of us, it may have been on a vacation when we first thought that we were in love. And maybe you saw that cute girl or that cute guy, and you saw that there was something attractive and something mysterious about them. And you didn't know much, but you had to try to solve that mystery and also to try to get all up in their history. Like you wanted to know more about whomever that person was. In fact, at both locations, if you can remember maybe when you first thought you were in love, way back in the day, if you can remember when that was, could you just raise your hand up, maybe remember your first crush or your first love or something like that? Yeah, I think most of us can. In fact, I can remember I was going to Ephesus Junior Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. I remember in the second grade, there was this girl named Kelly. I remember thinking, oh, one day, even though I never talked to her before, one day I'm going to hold her hand. And then maybe by the third grade, we're going to get married. And I just thought I was in love, like, from the, third, from the second grade. But then summer came and third grade came. And then I actually transferred to a public school and I never saw her again. And then love was over before it even started. But, you know, it's, it's easy to fall in love. And, in fact, if you fast forward many years later when I first met my wife, she actually made it pretty easy to fall in love with her. Now, for those of you who are married... Um, if you can actually think back, I, and I'm not saying everyone's journey is easy, but, but typically it is easy to fall in love. And you know when you first met that person, you thought everything they did was wonderful. I mean, you would have three-hour conversations on the phone. It's like you never, ever wanted those things to end. You had it where, you know, you would want to spend as much time with them as possible to make sure that you could just get to know them even more. And in fact, you thought that they were so wonderful that you loved the things that they loved, even if you didn't even like the things that they loved. 
In fact, I can remember shortly after dating my wife, I found out that she loved country music. And not only did she love country music, but specifically she loved a band named Rascal Flatts. And I remember she was talking about that band once, loving Rascal Flatts, loving country music. I remember it was like, well, you know, I, I love country music too. And I, man, I love me some Rascal Flatts. And I don't think I even knew who Rascal Flatts was. And I remember thinking, ain't no black man in America listening to country music that often. But, you know, if you are, it's fine. Okay, there's no judging here. You go on and you country it up. But, um, but you know what I did? Because I wanted to get to know her more, I went ahead and I downloaded some Rascal Flats. And the next time I saw her, I was like, girl, I melt every time you look at me that way. Just because I wanted to get to know her. I was falling in love. And see, when, when, it's, when you're first falling in love, like, it's easy. Man, you go all in. You let go of all reservations. And falling in love is easy, but it's the staying in love that's a problem. What causes a couple to go from having those three-hour conversations where they can't hang on the phone and like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. I can still hear you breathing. I'm not going to hang up until you hang up. Like what causes them to go from that so they can't even say one encouraging word to each other? What causes them to go from wanting to know everything the other person likes and everything the other person needs to being so focused on self that the other person even makes a request that seems like a burden and a bother. What causes a couple to go from, I just can't get enough, to I've had enough? Is it possible to stay in love? Can love last even in 2017? Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four powerful principles from Scripture that I believe can help the person who's single or even single again to realize some marriage realities, but also see some principles that can indeed make love last. Now, this is a marriage series, but I believe the principles we're going to look at at God's Word are so powerful that even if you're single and plan on being single for the rest of your life, this can help you in any relationship that you're in. And I believe that these four principles can help relight a fire in your marriage that's maybe starting to fade. And God doesn't want us to have a summer mindset when it comes to love, where it's easy to fall into it, but then when things get difficult or challenging, we either stop or simply move on. But through his word, we can have relationships that don't just survive, but they thrive for a lifetime. And before we get into our passage today, I just want to do is a quick survey of our audience. So those over at Courthouse, Garrisonville, those of you who are watching online, I just want to do a really quick survey. So if this is you, if you fall into any of these categories, would you just raise your hand up, okay? So if you are married at any one of our locations, if you're married, would you just raise your hand up, okay? Just raise your hand up, all right? All right, okay. All right, go ahead and put your hand down. Now, if you're either newly married or you're really close to getting married, which means the proposal has already happened and maybe you're within a year of getting married. So either you're very newly married or about to get married, that's you. Would you just raise your hand up for a minute, okay? Let's keep it up for a minute too. Okay, yeah, I see a couple of people out there. I know even at Courthouse we have a couple about to get married and some people who are recently married as well. Now, uh, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you're single, and there's nothing embarrassing about being single, okay? But if you're single right now, um, at both locations, would you just raise your hand up and just keep it up for a moment. Keep it up. Keep it up. Now start looking around the audience. See if anybody catches your eye. I'm trying to hook you up this morning. 
I'm just kidding, put your hands down, okay? This isn't match.com, calm down, calm down. Uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 31. And while you're turning there, here in John chapter 13, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And where we're going to start, we're going to see that one of his disciples, who I, I struggle to even give him that name because he was so against everything Jesus did and was only following Jesus primarily for money. One of his disciples named Judas is about to leave to go and betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And in this scene they were about to read, Jesus, pretty much from John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, he's almost giving, giving his followers, those who are in the room, and then those who will come, like many of us today, he's giving his followers like these last minute words to follow, these last words to live by. And he's repeating some of the principles and the commands that he's given them, reminding them that if you follow these, if you obey these, if you submit to these, then in your career, in your relationship, in your life, you will experience life to its fullest potential. And church, I really do believe with every single fiber of my being that the more you submit your life to Jesus' commands, the more you submit your life to his principles, the more you real, really live life to its fullest potential. And John who writes this, he was very close to Jesus. In fact, he was actually called the beloved disciple. And he recorded this eyewitness account that Jesus is having with his followers. And specifically one of his disciples named Peter that he has this dialogue with. And in this passage, Jesus gives us the first principle of the four we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks of this series. And he gives us the first principle here that is actually universal across every relationship. So whether you're single, whether you're married... Whether you've been married for one year or 50 years, whether your heart still skips a beat when you see that other person, or whether you feel like your marriage is running out of heartbeats, this principle is for you. So don't miss it. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 31, it says, when he was gone, talking about Judas. So Judas has just left to go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Now pause right here before we go any further. But what Jesus is saying here, he was saying that the ultimate way as he's getting ready to go to the cross, the ultimate way to bring this honor and glory to God it's to do all the things that God has set before him. And specifically, Jesus is talking about how he's about to go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And he was willing, even though he would suffer and die, he was obedient even to the point of death. Because he wanted to bring honor and glory to God. And it's the same thing. He was showing that his disciples, that our love for God should actually produce an obedience in us. That brings us to accomplish all that God has set before us. It brings us to accomplish all that he's set before us and also all that he's called us to do. And did you know right now that if you're married, that you are called to love your spouse? And when you love them, that you are bringing honor and glory to God. 
And I know sometimes it's not easy. And to say Jesus going to the cross to do what God had called him to do wasn't easy would be an understatement. But Jesus glorified God. And he was setting the example, showing the ultimate form of love. That despite our past, despite knowing all the sins that we would commit, despite knowing all the shame that we would encounter in our lives, despite knowing every single detail about us, he still looked at us and thought we were so valuable. And he loved us so much that he still went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And in this form of obedience, Jesus is saying, as I, as I do all that the heavenly Father has given me, all that he's called me to, it brings glory to God. And I think most of us would say, most of us who are followers of Jesus, we would say that's one of the goals of our life, that we want to bring honor, we want to bring praise, we want to we bring glory to our heavenly Father. And so Jesus shows us how. And that's why... What he says is also so important in what he says next. In verse 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then Simon Peter asked them, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? If you're taking notes today, the first principle I want you to write down is to look again. It's to look again. Did you miss what Jesus said? Because it's in this whole context of him doing all that God called him to do, obeying the commands of the heavenly father that brings glory to God. But then he gives his followers an important principle. Going to the cross was just for him. We're not required to do that. But what he gives next in this context of bringing glory to God is what he wanted his disciples in the room, what he wanted Peter to do, what he wants us to do. But Peter misses it. So we're going to read John 13 again, and don't miss what Jesus says. Look again. In verse 31, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and glorify him at once. In verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And again, right here he's saying, look, this is my task going to the cross. I've told you about this before. I've told you that the Son of Man must be lifted up to draw all men to himself. I'm going to accomplish my task. But for you, to bring glory and honor to God, here is what you as followers of Jesus need to do. Verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And again, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? 
And he completely misses this new command that Jesus was giving his followers to bring honor and glory to God with their lives. So we're going to camp out here with verses 34 and 35 for the next few minutes that we're together. And if you're looking at verse 34, when Jesus says a new command, you know, in the original language, it wasn't really a brand new command. Pretty much what, what he was saying here is this concept that he's been repeating since the Old Testament. That when we look at our relationships, it begins with a good relationship with God first. That God must be first in our lives and then we love others second. If we're going to love others the way that Jesus has loved us, that God has loved us, it first begins with understanding just how much God has first loved, loved us. And the phrase new, new command here has this idea that Jesus was saying, hey, I want to give you a new perspective on this command, on this principle. I want to have you have a renewed outlook. I want you to look again. And to keep coming back to this principle over and over and over again. In fact, to keep driving home this new command that Jesus gave, right here just in these two verses, he repeats the phrase three times to love one another, love one another, love one another, over and over and over again. And whenever the Bible emphasizes something and repeats it over and over again, man, it's like God is saying, hey, look again at this principle. Don't miss it. This is important. And even though Peter misses it, if you go read John 15, verses 12 and John 15, verse 17, Jesus actually repeats it again. And he says it again to them because he doesn't want us to miss this important principle. So let's look again at what it means when Jesus says to love one another as I have loved you. And see, Jesus has shown them that loving God must indeed be first. Now, it sounds really easy to do to put God first, but is it really true in our lives? Is it really true in your life that God is first? Is he the first relationship that you seek and that you go after? Is God first in your career choices as you're making decisions? Is God first in your finances? Is he first in your relationships? Are you letting him lead you? Is God first? And see, Jesus is about to lavish his love on the entire world. And his love for sinful humanity is so great that he was willing to lay down his life for the sins of the world. Man, how great is the love of Jesus? And have you ever thought about how Jesus really did show his followers how they should indeed love one another? Just think about this scene for a moment were the people who were closest to Jesus. You had Judas who's about to leave to go and sell him out for 30 pieces of coin so he can be put to death. You have Peter who he's having this dialogue with, who later on, if you read the rest of John chapter 13, would actually deny him and completely abandon him. And then you have all the other disciples that were in the room, with the exception of John, all the other disciples abandoned Jesus at the cross because they were afraid of what would happen to them. And they completely leave their Lord and Savior. But the love that Jesus would show on the cross, the forgiveness and grace that he would show, was enough to cover a multitude of sins, even for those who were the closest to him. And we need to look again at just how much Jesus has loved us. 
You ever think about what it was that actually led you to give your life to Christ? What, it actually, what actually caused you to finally surrender and say, Jesus, I am yours? Maybe because you realized that Jesus was indeed pursuing you. Maybe you realized that his grace and his love and his forgiveness were so great that it could overcome any sin, any shame that had existed in your life. Maybe you saw something in a friend's life or a co-worker's life or a neighbor's life and you saw that he made such a great change that you realized, hey, I just need that too. Maybe you realized that his love and his forgiveness were indeed unconditional and that even after you gave your life to him, that he will keep pursuing you and keep loving you no matter what. See, I believe God wants us to look again at how exactly Jesus has indeed loved us. He's loved us with this unconditional, incredible love. And in thinking about that and thinking about how God wants us to look how we, how he's loved us, but how we need to love one another, maybe we need to look again too at how we first even fell in love with our spouse. Do you remember what it was like when you were first falling in love with them. Maybe it was something that you saw in them, the way that they looked at you. Maybe it was that you're something that they did that's made you feel so incredibly special. Maybe it was the care or protection you felt like they they brought to their relationship. And there's some of you who today who are thinking, you know what, I can never love them like that again. Things will never be like that again. But let me just encourage you to look again. Look again at how God has loved you and look again at how he wants you to love your one another. And see, I, I, know, I know sometimes it can be challenging. And in fact, I can even remember when I, I first realized that I was starting to fall for my wife and fall in love with my wife. And we've been married now for 10 years. And one of the first things was I noticed about her was how beautiful and attractive she was. And I still think that to this day. Uh, but one of the main reasons why I started to, to fall in love with her, because I saw she has such an incredible heart for people. In fact, my wife empathizes with people in ways that I only hope to be able to do one day. I mean, even now that we have kids, anytime our kids, you know, get slightly injured or slightly hurt, I'm like, get up, you baby. Nothing's wrong with you, man. Shake it off. Like, just, just keep going. But she, because of her heart, I mean, she gets down on their level she listens to them crying through, listens to what they're actually saying as they're crying and whining about whatever slight injury they just got. She has magic kisses that takes away all the pain. And she just empathizes and just cares about them and people in ways that I only hope to one day. And also, I can remember back in those first days, I saw just how committed she was to God. And she was willing to go wherever God might be leading and to do whatever it was that God had called her to do. I remember seeing her commitment to God and her growing commitment for me. That even after we got married, after we moved from Columbus, Ohio to Danville, Virginia, now to Stafford, Virginia, I've, I've seen her seek God every single step of the way to pray for his will, to ask for his will, then to be obedient to his will. And I don't want you guys to think that everything's always perfect in the Sagree household because it is certainly not. And not everything has been perfect in our marriage either. In fact, we've been through some very trying times. We've been through some times that were very tense in our relationship. 
We've been through a miscarriage. We've been through several financial crises. We had a home taken away from us. We had it where sometimes like the fights that we went through, the tension was so strong it almost seemed like it lasted for days on end. And not to mention right now, we're raising three kids all under the age of six who sometimes seem like they're possessed by the spirit of Mike Tyson as they're fighting each other and as they're, as they're fighting us. And sometimes it seems like things can be so tense that it seems like things are degrading or falling apart. When those moments happen, I think God often reminds us to look again at how, he's, how he has loved us. How when, when, when we have problems, when we fall short of loving God like the way we're supposed to, when we fall short in doing the things that he's called us to, and God still loves us and he still pursues us. And we need to keep looking at how Jesus loves us. But we also need to look again at how we're loving our one another. Now, I know sometimes it can be hard to look again. In fact, as I was preparing this this week and as I was studying, I believe there are four distractions that keep us from seeing this principle clearly. Four distractions that stop us from looking again. So if you're taking note, you know, you may see that right now your relationship might be in one of these areas. So if you're taking note, here's the first distraction that keeps us from looking again. The first distraction is that we stop the pursuits. We stop the pursuit. You know, Peter, who would betray Jesus shortly after this encounter was recorded, he would betray Jesus, he would deny him three times. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't completely push Peter away. In fact, he went and found Peter. He was still pursuing Peter. He told Peter that he still loved him and that he had still called him. But one of the things that can stop us from looking again at how God has first loved us and how we should love our one another is that we stop pursuing our relationship with God and we stop pursuing our one another. In fact, psychologists have called this for married couples, there's something called the seven-year itch. And it wasn't just a movie that came out in the 50s, but psychologists have said that there's been this condition brewing in our culture where right around the seven-year mark, most couples decide to have a divorce. And right around that seven-year mark, people oftentimes will get tired, they'll grow bored, or they'll stop the pursuit. The romance will fade in their relationship. And even in most recent studies, it's shown that people are starting to decide in year two if they want to continue on in their marriage. In fact, next week, we're going to specifically focus on this. We're going to look at many different ways and have another principle in scripture that will help you keep the romance alive in your relationship. So there will be this constant pursuit of each other to relight some of those flames, to put some ointment on that seven-year itch so that you can have a love that lasts. But the first distraction is that we stop the pursuit. The second distraction is that we become problem experts. We become problem experts. We become an expert in our spouse's faults. We see only one thing, and that's everything that's wrong. We don't fix the conflict, so we either bury the conflict or we let conflict, conflict bury us. If your conversations lately with your significant other have been sounding like, well, you always do this, or you never do this, 
or I hate this about you, then the distraction of being a problem expert is creeping up in your relationship. And we need to look again at how Jesus has loved us. When we, when we go to Jesus and there's some sort of problem, he doesn't point out every single thing that we've done wrong. In fact, Jesus oftentimes wants to remind us of who we are, that we're dearly loved, that he has called us, that he forgives us, that he still loves us, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, that we are more than we can ever even think or imagine. In fact, God isn't an expert in our problems. He's an expert in our potential. And we need to look again at how he has loved us to not be a problem expert, but an expert in our spouse's potential. The third distraction is that we get the priority messed up. We oftentimes will get the priorities messed up. You know, each week we want to give you a resource that maybe you can go out and get that can also help you in your relationships. So I want you to write down the title of this book. It's called From This Day Forward. From This Day Forward by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. I highly recommend that you read that book from cover to cover. And in the book, Craig Rochelle says this. He makes this statement. He says, our marriages will never be what God wants them to be unless we make him our number one and our spouse our two. And he goes on to say that when you make someone your number one who's not God, you make them everything. In fact, have you ever seen that movie, Jerry Maguire, where Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zellweger and he makes that statement that's been like echoed in so many other movies where he says, you complete me. You know, that's good sentiment, but it is completely wrong. Because the only person that can complete you is no other human on earth. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus can truly complete you. And the more you try to look for someone else to be your everything, the more you only end up being disappointed. In fact, if you're single right now, you're looking to get married one day, Craig Rochelle actually says the best thing that you can do is to pursue the one, to pursue God first, to make him first in your life. And as you're pursuing the one, he prepares you for your two. And when you get the priority right, man, watch what God does in your relationship. God should be first. And you know what happens when you make either your spouse or your kids or someone else in that number one position that only Jesus should hold in your life? You make that person an idol. And whether you realize it or not, there may be a time where they seem like they're your everything and you're worshiping them. But if they're your only number one and it's not Jesus, then you may idolicize them at one point. But at some point you're going to begin to demonize them. And Jesus must be first in our relationships. And then the fourth distraction that keeps us from looking again at this incredible principle is that we start looking at greener pastures. We start looking at greener pastures. You know, I've heard it said that the grass is greener on the other side. And there's something in us that when things maybe start to get difficult or really challenging, you know, we'll start to look at 
everything else and on the outside, it all looks good. And we start thinking, if I only had a relationship like them, if I was only even with that other person, then everything will be better because the grass is greener on the other side. Well, I have two responses for that. The first one is, if the grass is greener on the other side, it might actually be growing on a septic tank. <laughs> I see so many times, you know, we look at things on the outside and we, we say, man, it's so much better over there. But the truth of the matter is, we're all sinners. Man, we're all messed up. We all have our junk that we bring into a relationship. And rather than try to go and jump into somebody else's junk, man, try to fix your own. Work on your marriage, your relationship. And then even in just a statement, the grass is greener on the other side. If the grass really is greener on the other side, then water your grass, bro. Like, do what you were doing in the beginning. Like, you can rekindle those flames. Start dating again. Start putting God first again. Start building the romance again. Don't let greener pastures fool you. Water the grass on your side. Fight for your marriage. And look again at who it is that God is calling you to. And the second point I want you to get from this passage today, it's, it's really short, but it's really important. We need to make it personal and enjoy the view. We need to make it personal and enjoy the view. When you look again at this incredible principle of loving others the way that God has loved us, and when you actually put it into practice, something beautiful happens. In fact, listen to what Jesus says again here in verse 35. He says, by this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, five times in verses 34 and 35, Jesus repeats the pronoun you. And there's something about when the Bible repeats something over and over and over again that God really wants us to get something. He wants us to look again at it. And so here in these two verses, Jesus says you over and over and over again. And I think as often is the case, he wants us to know that, yes, this is a universal principle. It is indeed for everyone, but it's not just for everyone, it's for you. And we need to make this personal. We need to say, you know what, it's not just everyone else who needs to do this, but it is me. I need to do this, I need to get this, I need to look again at how much God has loved me, I need to look again at how I'm loving my one another, I need to get this. See, when you apply this principle, I think so many times we do think about everyone else around us except those who are closest to us. But when we apply it and we love one another as Jesus has loved us, and when we apply it to our spouse, then God paints this beautiful picture. So much so that he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And people will take notice. Your neighbors will take notice. And your co-workers will take notice. But not just everyone in our circles of influence, but even the people who are closest to us. Our moms, our dads, our husbands, our wives, our children. There's something about when you look again. You keep looking again at 
this principle where God says not only should you look again at it, but you need to also make it personal. It's not just everyone else who needs to do it, but it's you and it's me. And God makes something beautiful. And he says, enjoy the view. Everyone will see that you are indeed a follower of Christ. I'm going to ask our worship teams at both locations are going to make their way back up to the stage. And as they're making their way back up to the stage, I just want to encourage you, church, don't miss this. You know, Peter missed it the first time Jesus said it. The second time Jesus said it. The third time Jesus said it. And even the fourth and fifth times Jesus said it. But at some point after the resurrection, Peter got it. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter, who writes this book in the Bible, he says this. He says, obey the truth, which means follow God's commands. If you want to bring honor and glory to his name, you follow his commands. You do what he's calling you to do. You put God first. He says, obey the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. Then he repeats what Jesus says. He finally got it. He made it personal. He said, love one another deeply from the heart. Man, Peter made it personal, and I want us to do the same. So here's my challenge for you as, as this next week goes by and as we continue to go through this series over the next couple of weeks, I want you to look again and again and again at John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. But I don't just want you to look again at it, but I want you to make it personal. And I want to challenge you that you would do the look again vow. Now here's how this works, okay. You're going to see a little, um, a little sentence come up on the screen about making these two verses personal. And for the, uh, the first set, I wanted to just do it where if you're not married right now, but maybe there's someone in your life that you've been having a difficult time loving. Maybe it is a mom or a dad. Maybe it is a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a coworker or a boss. Would you look again at how Jesus has loved you and how we need to love our one another. So here's how this works. I want you to make this your prayer this week. And you can take a picture of this or write it down, but you would take that verse and you would make it personal. And you would say a new command, Jesus has given me that I would love blank. And who is it that you need to put in that blank? As Jesus has loved me, so I must love this person. And by this, everyone will know that I am a disciple if I love them. And I would challenge you that this week that you would make that your prayer. That you would pray that to God as he helps you in the relationship that you're in that's maybe been giving you some trouble. Now, for those of you who are married, you only have one option, okay? You need to put in the name of your spouse. And I hope that this week that you will make this a prayer to God. But you wouldn't just pray to God, but you would say it to them. You would say a new command Jesus has given me 
that I will love my wife or my husband. And as Jesus has loved me, so I must love my wife or my husband. And by this, everyone will know that I am a disciple if I love them. My challenge is that you would make this a prayer this week, that you would make this a declaration, that you would say it to your spouse this week, that you would look them in the eye, that you would pray it for them, you would pray it over them, you would pray it with them, that you would make it a vow as we keep going through this series. And look again at just how much God has loved you, how he wants you to love your one another. Don't miss it. Let's go and pray, go and bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we're praying today, for those of you who are married, maybe the fires have died down. Maybe some of those distractions have crept up in your life. Maybe you have become a problem expert. Maybe you are pursuing greener pastures. Maybe you stopped the pursuit. Maybe you've gotten all the priorities mixed up. It's been our prayer today that you will look again. That you will look again at how much God has loved you. And how he wants you to love your spouse. It's been our prayer that not only would you do that, but you would make it personal. I want to challenge you to do the look again vow every single week as we go through this series. And for those of you who, are, who haven't given your life to Christ yet, maybe today you realize that Jesus doesn't, it's not just everyone else that he loves, but it's you. And no matter what your past is, no matter what your shame is, no matter what your sin is, forgiveness, hope, healing is found when you decide to surrender your life to Christ. Would you look again at Jesus? If you're ready to give your life to Christ today, right where you are, at any location, would you pray this simple prayer? Would you say, Jesus, today, God, I'm making it personal. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, would you become the Lord and leader of my life? Today, God, I'm looking at you. Now, while everyone says their heads down, their eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today, in a moment I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, I just want you just to shoot your hand straight up in the air and keep it there for a moment to declare that today I'm entering into a relationship with Jesus and for the first time, I'm making it personal. So if that's you today, get ready. One, two, three. Going to raise your hand up, shoot it straight up in the air. Let's keep it up there for a moment. Our prayer team wants to be able to give you a gift. And if you're online and you've given your life to Christ, just click that box right below me saying that you've entered into a relationship with Jesus today. And Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this incredible principle. 
And God, even though so many times we miss it, I want to pray, God, that you would help us to keep looking again and again and again at how much you love us, God, how much you continue to love us, and how, God, we need to love our one another. God, would you help us to make it personal? To not just think everyone else needs to do this. God, it's me. And God, this week for those married couples, Lord, and maybe they are running out of fuel. Lord, how I pray that this week, God, that they would take the challenge. God, they would take this vow. God, they would look again you've done for them and what you want to do in their relationship. God, we love you this morning. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.